This is the MLW Radio Network. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It's your boy, Blackheart, the head honcho off the top roast podcast. If you love independent and professional wrestling and like all the juicy gossip of the wrestling industry, then look no further than here, OTTR Headquarters. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Facebook groups, and whatever that you get your podcast from with our, with our latest Last Week of Wrestling, After Darts, Under Boss's Hard Taste, and now our new upcoming trivia game show, Wrestling Every, coming soon. So if you like what you've seen, you love professional wrestling, you love independent wrestling, you love everything about wrestling just yourself, give us a tune. You know, you would not regret it. Blackheart out. Everyone knows a lot of things can change in the span of 10 years. But when it comes to professional wrestling podcasting, one thing is still guaranteed. The Shining Wizards is the only place to get all the latest wrestling news, interviews with the greatest guests, and of course, tons of laughs in discussing the world of wrestling. The show is still available on Monday nights at 7 p.m. East on RantDMRadio.com and Rant Entertainment Media on the TuneIn app. And it's still available on all podcasting platforms. To check us out, head over to ShiningWizards.com where it's still wrestling talk and talk about wrestling. Are you tired of prediction shows? Do you want to fantasy book the companies? Does Bigfoot even really exist? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then check out the podcast that isn't a podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, the standing streamer stands and delivers as he and Vanessa talk about all that's going on in pro wrestling today. Plus, see in-depth conversations with people in and around the wrestling world as guests share their stories and insights about making it in the business. The Putting You Over Podcast. Putting your weeknights over every Tuesday and Thursday. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening and good night. My name is Thomas and what's your name? Uh, I'm Alan. Alan. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We're brothers. That's right. Yeah, yeah the mother, same mother and father. Your room was... Oh, we shared a room. Shared a room. For we right? shared a room. Thought I knew your face. Yeah, we so go maybe. way back, mate. Yeah. yeah. We should do a podcast then. Uh, we have. We do, we do a podcast. We do a podcast. What's it called? The Brocast. Yeah, that was planned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. What do we do? Well, we cover all different things in the world of pop culture. We're talking about comic books, we're talking about professional wrestling, and we're talking about movies. Go back and watch classic retro wrestling events, the likes of WWE, WCW, and if you do like that, you can check us out on Apple iTunes, also on Podbean, Anchor, and on Podknife. Also, check us out on Twitter, at The Broadcast. That's B-R-O. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Ending. Yeah, it's all right. Good on you. Yeah. Instagram also at the Broadcast Podcast. Remember, we don't spell it with a C. We spell it with a K. Sorry, mate. Take it easy. Two Heels and a Face Wrestling Podcast believes wrestling is a buffet. There's something there for everyone. These guys cover local Chicago indie scene, and all of their episodes can be found at twoheelsandaface.com. The number two heelsandaface.com Hey everyone, my name is referee Tony S and this is Heat, the wrestling podcast. Like you first and foremost, I'm a wrestling fan and for nearly two decades I've maintained law and order inside the squared circle in New England and throughout the country, working with some of the best and brightest from wrestling's past, present, and future. Now, I bring my authoritative tell-it-like-it-is style to the podcast world. Join me each week as we go through all the major headlines from the global companies, independents, and in-between. 
and most importantly, the women will receive the coverage and headlines they truly deserve as they'll empower the second half of the show. Plus, I'll introduce you to my friends and colleagues within all forms of wrestling and entertainment, answer your questions, anything goes, no holds, well, questions barred, and throw in some fun surprises along the way. Get ready for the spark that fuels the flame. Listen on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of the Front Row Material Brand. My name is Mike Freeland. It's interview time, as we always do here on the show. So we have yet another very interesting interview that we'll be conducting this week. We've talked to many different wrestlers, really from all different promotions all over the country, heck, all over the world for that matter. And we get a chance to talk to veterans, and I love to pick veterans' minds to ask them not only about what got them into the business, but what's their perspective and what's their opinion on the business today and how things have changed and evolved since they first stepped into the ring. So tonight we have a great, great conversation with GPA. That's right. Yours might not have been that high, probably mine neither uh, in high school. But this guy not only calls himself it, but he definitely follows that moniker as well. Incredibly talented, intelligent wrestler. He's been in the business for over 12 years, nearly 400 matches. You've probably seen him in all different promotions. He's won multiple championships all around the country. He's been on AEW television as well. and Hopefully we'll get to see him again. So without further ado, let's go ahead and let's bring him on in. GPA, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. How are you? I am good. I am good. I'm excited to uh, to get a chance to talk to you, go down memory road, talk about your career in the industry, and you know, ultimately find out what is uh, what is next for you. But let me first kind of start off. How has uh, 2022 been been treating you as we kind of wind down the year? It's it's been a good year. Um, it's funny. I feel like everybody, you know, just kind of in the world has has hit the reset button the last couple of years. Um, you know, I felt like I had a nice bit of momentum going, uh, leading right up into the pandemic. Um, I was the, the champion in a couple of different promotions. I was having some pretty high profile matches and then, you know, as we all know, the, the world sort of ended. So, um, I feel like it's, it's taken a while to get back into a rhythm, but I think kind of midway through last year and then coming into this year, um, I started feeling good, started having some better matches, some some good programs, and and now winding down the year. Uh, yeah, things are looking good. I actually, uh, unfortunately, had a slight health issue uh, coming out of Thanksgiving week, uh, suffered a concussion, unfortunately, so that Ooh. put me on the shelf a bit. But I'm feeling perfect now, and I've got a big weekend coming up, and then, you know, we'll see what uh, 2023 holds. Well, you're right. You have been in some very high-profile matches, and you know what? If I were the listener, I would definitely go and check out YouTube. YouTube, you can check out some of his great matches, and I'm telling you, they're really, really good. They're really entertaining. GPA knows how to tell a great story. Very athletic. Uh, He took on – he's taken on people like Mustafa Ali, taken on Lance Archer, um, taken on Private Party before. So there's so many different talent that he's worked with, and I think that really – lends itself to how deep you are as a wrestler because you wrestle all different types of styles, all different types of opponents. Um, If you go over to YouTube and then we're also going to plug his social medias as well before the show's over, definitely give him a follow. 
definitely give them a follow on the old Instagram, the old Facebook or the bookdogram or any of that. I don't even, not even that good with that stuff, but we'll make sure you get his information. Um, but with all that being said, let's kind of go back in the way back machine here. And were you a wrestling fan or were you a big fan of watching it when you were growing up? Was it something that you had on the TV or was this something that you just kind of got into later on in life? No, uh, wrestling is, has been kind of my first love. Uh, it started when I was seven years old and it was, it was kind of one of those love at first sight sort of things. Um, I remember flipping channels at my grandparents' house, uh, cause I would spend like one weekend a month there and it was on a, either a Saturday or Sunday morning. I was flipping channels and I saw wrestling for the first time and I didn't know what it was. It was just a lot of colors and people jumping around and, you know, they would cut to the backstage area and there was this like eight foot tall demon guy in a, you know, with long trench coat and a hat and long hair. And he was, had a weird little squeaky guy next to him. And it was just all like, it was this incredible visual circus. I'd never seen anything like it. And, I don't even know if I quite made the connection of like what channel I was watching or what time it was, but it was one of those, I had to find it again. So I think just through, cause at the time, you know, you couldn't just turn to Google or whatever and find out what the show was called or, or what, cause that was, this would have been early nineties, I guess, early to mid nineties. So, um, but yeah, no, since, since I was seven, I've loved it. And then, I didn't really take the steps to actually get into the industry until uh, after high school, but it was one of those that I always knew uh, that I had to surround my life with it somehow or another. Like I, I tried to convince myself for a while that I wanted to do normal things. You know, maybe I could get into to journalism school or, you know, to do this or do that. But it was one of those, I, I could never shake the idea of, of being in the wrestling industry. So, so yeah, pretty much since I was seven, it's kind of been tunnel vision for, for pro wrestling. You kind of, once you get the itch with wrestling, <laughs> it's one of those things that you can't scratch it enough. You know, it's like, I, I've talked to many different people and, you know, some people were, were meant to play baseball. Some people mm -hmm. were meant to play football. And it's just one of these things where once you see something, you get a glimpse of it it just kind of sucks you in. And it's one of these wrestling is a very captivating form of entertainment because like you said before, costumes, colors, personalities, the way people can talk on a microphone and, and really draw you in and entertain you for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, two hours. And it's something that's very rare. I mean, because how many other forms of entertainment do that on a live basis and you actually get to go there and, and see it in person if you choose to. So that kind of takes me to my next uh, question. So when did you eventually get a chance to see your first live event? So how how far down the road did that come after seven? It was it was pretty soon thereafter. I remember it was a house show at the United Center in Chicago, and I believe it was Christmas time, nineteen ninety five. I want to say. Nice. Um, I could I could probably find the date. I do have uh, I forget what the website is, but they have like the the actual card that I was able to go back and find. Um, one thing I remember from it is I had a disposable camera, like you know, obviously not like now where you just pull your phone out and take beautiful high res pictures. Now I had a 
little disposable camera. And at the time, uh, they were really, really pushing the effectiveness of Shawn Michaels's uh, Sweet Chin music. So it was getting a big push on TV. And my my one goal when I was sitting there as a fan was to get a picture of Sweet Chin music with my little disposable camera. And as you <laughs> as you probably remember, when you took the picture, you then had to rewind the film or whatever it was. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So at one point I had taken a picture because I thought it was coming, but it didn't happen. So I look down, I start rewinding. And of course, as I'm looking down, boom, he hit switch in music on Lex Luger, one, two, three. And <laughs> so learned a, learned a valuable lesson, I guess, as a, as a fan that day. But yeah, so it was uh, yeah, probably, it was less than two years before I finally got out to a show. I think I convinced my mom of whatever this, this weird new interest was that I had. And she was, amused by it so yeah i think it was probably her and my dad that that took me out to the united center back in uh 95 wow very cool so was it something that was talked about a lot at school or was there just a small contingent of of friends or people who were talking about wrestling at that time well what was what was great about the the timing of it all is that uh that was leading right into the attitude era so I think when I first started watching, there wasn't, it wasn't a huge thing at school. Um, I might've had a friend or two that were into it, but then, you know, cause that was what 94, 95 that I got into it. And then as we rounded into 96, 97, it became the hottest thing in the world. And even, you know, non-wrestling fans knew who Stone Cold was and knew who The Rock was. And, Absolutely. You know, it just became the cool thing to be into. So I think the the timing was perfect from a, a fan perspective because it was kind of my own little thing for a couple of years there. And then all of a sudden everybody knew about it and I could talk to the whole school about it. Everybody had the shirts, everybody had the the folders and lunchboxes and like it was it was great. So yeah, it started out kind of small and niche and then it became the thing to be into. Can I assume that Shawn Michaels was your guy or was it just one of many or who were your, who are your people that you like to follow and that you might've bought some swag from? Mm, well, that's a, that's, it's a little, not going to go that far because I'm actually a Bret Hart guy. That's, that's nice. my guy. So, okay. Yeah. I'm with, I'm in camp Bret Hart too. Good, good. Very good. Yes. Yeah, so you're a man of taste. I like that. But <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, I was so my I've always said my two guys are Bret Hart and Undertaker. Um and kind of for different reasons. I mean, obviously both both great wrestlers. Undertaker is the one that kind of captured my imagination. I think that um when I first started watching and I saw him, because he was getting uh, a pretty big push at the time when I started watching. So I think just the idea of a giant dead man <laughs> like was fascinating to you know a seven-year-old kid so that he's the one that captured my imagination and then as i was watching and starting to appreciate the the in-ring action more that's how i gravitated towards brett because like there was just such legitimacy to what he was doing and he was super cool too so you know it was just it was to me the perfect mix of entertainment and uh in-ring you know uh athleticism with brett so um but yeah and and no ill will towards Sean whatsoever. I mean, it was obviously a little testy there for a couple of years as a fan, but, um, but no, I've, as I've gotten older, I've grown to appreciate the greatness of Sean Michaels, obviously one of the Titans, one of the greatest to ever do it. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would say Bretton, Bretton Undertaker are my two guys, but Sean was great. Uh, you know, rock who doesn't love the rock and 
uh, yeah, just all kinds of guys. Uh, it wasn't really like I'm one of those kind of fans that I could, you you put wrestling on and I'm going to watch. It doesn't really matter who or what it is. It can be the best in the world doing it. It could be a local indie. Like I'll find something to appreciate when I'm watching it. Speaking of Shawn Michaels, just uh, this is going to date me and this is going to show how uh, much older I am. But <laughs> I really started disliking Shawn Michaels when he threw Marty Jannetty through the glass mm. window on the barbershop. Yep. I think that was the first time I said to myself, oh, I'm not too high on this guy. But um, <laughs> no, I agree with you. I mean, the, the people that you named are very charismatic, very talented, and they're all unique in their own way. They all stand separate from each other, which really, I mean, let's let's talk about it. it. It makes wrestling really interesting to watch because it's not the same old, same old with every person, right? It's not this carbon copy of the same guy just wearing a different outfit. Yeah, the the personality aspect of it is is so huge because um, it's, I mean, it's basically just a, a, a drama, like a live action drama every week. And um I'm sure it's something that we'll get into, but I feel like in, in in certain ways, that's what has gotten lost a little bit in terms of kind of an incoming fan base, because the industry is very much uh, action based now. I feel like everything is predicated on what you can physically do rather than who you are. And like when I was coming up, it was just about these larger than life personalities, you know, the uh, Diesel and Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair and all these like just huge, huge uh, individual entities. And then obviously like the matches were kind of a bonus, like, oh, you know, they can do cool stuff and they've got their signature moves. But like this idea of, you know, work rate and five star matches and all that stuff like that never factored into my thinking as a fan growing up. It was just about seeing these these incredible superheroes you know clashing over could be titles could be personal issues could be relationships like there were all kinds of things that were motivating these guys to fight but yeah it was always like the the the, the emotional side of wrestling that got me most hooked so so as you're watching it and in the back of your mind you're thinking man i really like this and you know, maybe at some point I'd, I'd be interested in being a part of this industry. Time goes on. Let's go ahead and let's fast forward. So you go through high school, and I assume the desire really starts to ramp up even more. You decide that, you know what, this is something I'm really going to do. How did you start looking for schools? How did that process work for you? Who did you talk to? What advice did you get when you first decided that this was something you'd be interested in doing? So, and I, so I was, I started looking uh, around 2008. That was when I started, you know, putting the wheels in motion, trying to figure out where to go and how to do this. Um, so I, I did, you know, what any responsible person does. I Googled, you know, how to, how to do something. And, um, it was funny, all that came up when I searched for local Chicago schools at the time were two schools. Uh, one was Windy City Pro Wrestling, which was kind of the tenured uh, Chicago indie. And there was uh, Pro Championship Wrestling, which seemed a little just kind of mom and pop, but it was fine. It had been around a while. They had pictures of all the big stars that had come through. So it was obviously of, of some repute, but... Um, 
So what I did was they there were phone call uh, phone numbers associated with both. So I called Windy City first and uh, Sam Desero, who's kind of the like the uh, Chicago promoter or was at the time. Um, he answered and he gave me the basic information, kind of the the spiel, the cost, the days of the week that they ran, so on and so forth. And it all sounded pretty good. Um, but then I asked at the end, hey, like, hey, can I just swing by and you know, kind of watch some practices, see how it all works, kind of get a feel for things. And he said, nope, it's, you got to pay up front. It's sight unseen. You got to put down your money first, put down the down payment. And then after that, you can come through and get wow. an idea of how it all works. So that was, I don't know, it just didn't quite jive with me. So um told him I'd think it over and call him back. And then after that, I called uh, Pro Champions Wrestling, and it was super casual. They gave me all the info, and I asked if I could come by, and they said, oh, yeah, just come by whenever. We have Saturday, Sunday practices, Wednesdays, whatever you want to come by, just swing through, let us know who you are, and, yeah, you can take as much time as you need. So uh, that appealed to me a little bit more, so I wound up uh, – so it was the summer of 2009 that I finally uh, took the leap. It's It was in a – southern chicago suburb where uh, pro championship wrestling was based and so I, I drove out and i expected to see the performance center you know that's kind of like what you have in your head for wrestling schools so i figured i'd see this big sprawling gymnasium <laughs> and you know a bunch of twenty thousand square foot you know yeah exactly high level athletes and trainers and equipment and all that so and i it, it so I, I pull up to the address and it's literally just this neighborhood like just a i was in the middle of like a suburb essentially so i was like do i have the wrong address did i put something in wrong so i <laughs> i'm sitting, sitting there in my car kind of looking around you know wondering if i've been taken for a ride or whatever and so i get out and i was on the phone with a friend trying to figure out like what i should do next and just faintly in the background i could hear like slams and grunts and like wrestling noises basically so right i was like what what is going on is this like a, a mirage like i don't understand so <laughs> you know and so i started walking around and then i realized that the ring was literally in the promoter's garage like it was just he had this nice big you know suburban house and then the garage you open up the, the garage door and the entire you know uh inside of the garage was a ring so it was like you know, the obviously not large, you know, just a very small uh, sort of practical ring for training, but it's probably technically a boxing ring. But, um, but yeah, so I finally found how to get into the place, walked in. There were two guys in the ring and a trainer on the outside. And it was just, it was very gritty, very bare boned. Uh, the trainer was telling them that it was like two kids and, the trainer on the outside, he was saying like, okay, uh, you're Hulk Hogan, you're Ric Flair, and you've got five minutes, do what they do, go. Like, don't talk about it, don't plan anything, to just use your basic knowledge of wrestling and, and try to have a match on the fly as those two guys. And so in my head, I'm putting that match together. Like, oh, I know exactly what I would do. I would, you know, do the lockup and push off and pose and that, 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 like I, in my head, I'm already loving this. Cause this is like feeding right into my <laughs> obsessive wrestling nerd brain. But, um, you know, so 
Yeah. So I just, I watched the rest of practice. I introduced myself to the guys. Um, and yeah, it was a very, very welcoming environment. You know, it was, it's wrestling, so it's always going to be a little awkward or whatever, but I could just tell that like, I could work with this, you know, I could, I could take away from this, what I needed to, um, the price was not out of the realm of possibility and it was just all, all very inviting. So, you know, I took a week or so, I think I went to one or two more practices just to get a feel for how it all worked and, you know, signed up shortly thereafter. So, uh, but yeah, that was the summer of, of 2009. So, uh, yeah, not a not a very glamorous start, but you know, I don't think anybody has a particularly glamorous start in wrestling. No, it's all about humble beginnings and yep. it's so funny when you're telling me that story, I am picturing just a residential neighborhood mm-hmm. and like is this like a stew hard like basement <laughs> thing and <laughs> whoa, this could get weird. And I'm sure you probably thought the same thing. Like, okay, I'm looking for a business. I'm looking for a building, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm right in the middle of, you know, Oak street and I don't see anything. And then it's in some dude's garage. So give me the, the, the background of where were you as a person, as far as your life in 2008, 2009. So I had, I had just finished, high school uh, a couple years prior and I was just doing jobs like not well not wrestling jobs but just like you know real life pay the bills jobs Um, nothing that really captured me or you know felt like I was serving my calling or anything it was I was just sort of spinning my wheels Um, and I wanted to I didn't want to get started too early in wrestling I feel like that's something that um, it can work, but it's also kind of risky. Like to me, the ones that start in their, their teenage years, I think you're just kind of, I don't know. I feel like you need to be fully physically developed before you start putting your body through the rigors of, of pro wrestling. So I didn't want to start too, too early. So when I, I finished high school, I think I was about 17, 18 and I was, you know, I probably could have started and been fine, but you know, if you blow out your knee or you know, ruin your hips or whatever, then all of a sudden you still have 20 more years to go and it's going to be that much more difficult. So I wanted to take a little time, get myself in shape, uh, build up some, some money. And, um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I wasn't really doing much, you know, I'd, since I was out of high school, I'd sort of lost that, that manufactured, uh, social circle. Like I wasn't around a lot of people. Like I didn't have that weekly, a friend group that you see all the time. Those people had kind of gone on to college or gone on to do the things that they were doing. And uh, all my wrestling friends had kind of <laughs> grown out of the phase. You know, it was starting to be not as as cool uh, by the late 2000s. So, um, yeah, so it was all kind of becoming clear that, like, you know, if I wanted to to really straighten myself out, wrestling was, was the way to go, um, which is not something that I would advise for, you know, most, most people, it's kind of uh, oxymoronic to say, I want to straighten my life out pro wrestling. That's the way, you know, but it's not, (laughs) not typically how it works. But for me, I just, I knew that that's the direction I had to take. So, so yeah, I I just, I was kind of just in that, that holding pattern at that point in my life, just, you know, just kind of spinning my wheels, no, 
major relationships. All my friendships were kind of waning and uh, no great job prospects. You know, it was all just sort of pointing me in the direction of like, all right, you know what you need to do. Now it's it's time to do it. What were the family's thoughts on, hey, I'm going to go pursue pro wrestling? Well, I mean, it's interesting because when we talk to different people, you know, some families are super, super supportive of like, absolutely go after it. It's your dream. And then some families are like, wait a minute, <laughs> wrestling? Like, what was your family's take when you finally told them, hey, guess what? I'm really going to go after this. What was their response to that? Well, I I made a uh, tactical error in my timing of uh, when to reveal it to to my mom that I wanted to become a wrestler because uh, I I dropped the bomb on her shortly after we so at the time it was me and my mom and my sister all living in the same building and we as a family watched the wrestler with Mickey Rourke and. Uh, nice. <laughs> So, I mean, like, obviously, great movie, but if you, you know, look at the the overall arc of the story, not exactly the most uh, uplifting look at professional wrestling. And so It did not paint it in the perfect light, no. No, no, it did not. So, you know, we watched that, and we were, you know, talking about it for days afterward, and then, yeah, with, for some reason, shortly after that, I decided to let her know, like, hey, I think I'm going to actually do this with my life. And oh, my mom was not happy. <laughs> she was, uh, I remember her exact quote, because uh, we had just watched The Wrestler. I think we might have been talking about it maybe even earlier that day or something. And I let her know that I was planning on starting. And her exact quote was, you want that to be your life? And so wow. she was, uh, you know, and, and well-intended, you know, she wasn't just sure. trying to crap on my dreams for the sake of it. Like she just, you know, she'd always had just sort of a, long distance view of pro wrestling because it was always on i was always watching it and i would tell her the stories of all the crazy you know backstage shenanigans and tragedies and all the things that would happen and then we watched the movie and that's again, once again probably not the best <laughs> leading up to this is what i'm doing no no you know definitely i mean there was obviously glitz and glamour and fame and fortune to it also but you know there's there's definitely a, a dark side of wrestling and so um yeah once i let her know but i think that there had to have been a part of her that knew that this was coming though because like i wasn't i wasn't applying myself to anything else and it was clearly my number one obsession in life you know it had been almost nearly 20 years at that point that i was solely obsessed with it so um yeah so it, it definitely took her a while to warm up to the idea but it was it was roughly six months, six or seven months before I had my actual first show. And she came out to that first show. And um, I think once she saw it in action, I mean, it was just a local indie. It was not WrestleMania by any stretch, but just sort of seeing me in my element. Um, I think kind of put her nerves at ease because it was it was very much me where I belonged. You know, like she saw that I was taking it seriously that I was performing well, that people were taking to me that I was taking to it. So um, yeah, she definitely warmed up as I got into it, but yeah, that initial uh, reveal <laughs> did not go well. So what was your sister's take? I mean, obviously she'd watched wrestling with you as well. Um, what, what was her take? I know mom's take was, 
was a typical parent take, right? So like, mm -hmm. you know, they want to make sure their kids are on a good track and they want to see them have a good life and not struggle. And so what was, what was sis's take on this whole thing? I think she was just kind of amused. Cause uh, I mean, she's, she's a bit of a performer too. Uh, she now owns a uh, ballroom dance studio. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And at the time she was uh, just sort of entering the ballroom world she was always a dancer always kind of a she was a gymnast when she was younger so she always had that that physical performer side to her so she was i mean she was amused and she was supportive um but she saw both sides i mean obviously you know she understood why my mom was so concerned you know but at the same time it's also kind of cool you know to see your your brother pursue something like that especially something that's so uh kind of closely connected to what she did and a, a detail that I left out is you know you asked about that period before I got into wrestling I actually was in the ballroom world for just a hot second um, wow. I spent about six months uh, as a trainer so like I was uh, the way that my sister phrased it to me is that they're always looking for males in the in that industry because it's just like they have women for days but in terms of finding men to help you know train other men and train with the women like that's a difficult thing so they would take you on and they would train you from the ground up like it wasn't any issue you didn't need experience didn't need any of that so i i actually signed up uh i think it was in 2007 and uh spent about six months and i learned a, a pretty fair amount obviously the basics and then into some of the more advanced uh dances but it was actually a really good uh precursor to wrestling because there are elements of dance that actually do translate over to pro wrestling there's the even like the lockup stance and just some of the the physical movements when you're moving somebody around um like it's not a natural thing but i think that having that experience in dance helped me adapt to pro wrestling because the the physical aspect like the the ice had kind of been broken with some of the dance uh, training. And so once I stepped into wrestling, it was like, oh, okay, well, this move is like this move and these steps are like these steps. So that actually gave me a nice little, little foundation there. But um, yeah, no, my, my sister was, was definitely uh, more supportive than not, but I think she also kind of took a, a wait and see approach. Like, like anybody would, you know, I don't think you just assume that somebody's going to sign up and then, go on to have a 12 year career or whatever, but yeah, no, she was, I think she was definitely uh, more supportive than anything. So you're at the point where you signed up, you're now in the the school and how many people were in your class when you were there and you started training? Was it a, a fairly large group and kind of a follow-up to that? Did you end up meeting these people down the road again in wrestling and have some stories about, hey, remember when? It was it was a pretty small group. They didn't really they didn't have like a particular start time for certain classes. Like it wasn't okay. Here's the the March group that'll then train for six months and then we'll bring in the you know November group or whatever. It was just kind of whoever came in. They just sort of were put in the in the class and then they tried to catch up with everybody else. But there were people that a few guys that had started just a few months before I did. Um, so I'd say like, if I went to a class on a weekend that was well attended, there were maybe 10 to 15 of us that were there wow. at the time. Um, 
but on average, I think most classes were maybe six, seven, eight guys on an average class. Um, so not, not, I guess not very big, uh, relatively, but, um, and it's funny cause almost all the guys that I trained with were just giant, massive guys, like legit 300 pounders. And, um, I was always kind of the, the test dummy taking all the, like, Oh, let's try power slams today. Or, you know, let's try stalling suplexes or whatever. So, um, but it actually, it, it sort of toughened me up to the, what was to come because if you can survive you know the training days of giant you know beasts then you know once you actually get in there with guys your size that are much more uh adept and graceful then it actually kind of gets a little bit easier after that but um yeah and there and there really aren't that many guys that are still around from back when i started uh I made one really good friend. Uh, his name is Josh. He goes by uh, Mojo McQueen now. He's got kind of a, a modern sort of Papa Shango kind of thing going on, but um, he's still out there. He's still doing his thing. Um, and he and I still cross paths on, on local shows. I'll be seeing him uh, this coming Saturday actually. But um, so he was, he was one of the guys that started with me and I think there's a few others that still kind of middle around with it, you know, uh, here and there but yeah it's really not uh there's really aren't that many of us that are still around from back then and all the the trainers and the kind of the the upper guys that were in the company that i was with like those guys have all long since retired and you know gone on to the rest of their lives so yeah it's there's not many of us that are are still around from back then but there's there's a couple here and there so as you're starting your training what would you say was the most challenging thing um, that you learned from a physicality standpoint, like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this was as grueling as it was. I know a lot of different wrestlers talk about, you know, just, just taking bumps and flat backs and hitting the ring ropes and obviously having, you know, the, the big bruises underneath the arms or w- what for you would you say was the most challenging thing physically to overcome? And then all these, all of a sudden things started gelling. And it, it's funny, I, like, I don't, I don't mean this in a, in a braggadocious way, but there had been so much uh, material out there by that point about wrestling training, like uh, Tough Enough had been on at that point, which really broke down like the, the ins and outs of, of wrestling training. And I'd read tons of books and, and I'd watched all the the exposés at the time, like how does wrestling work? How do they, what are the secrets of wrestling? And, you know, so I'd, I'd, I'd actually had a pretty good understanding of what went into the training. So it's not like I didn't do what a lot of people do and just roll off the couch and real think, you know, I'm, I can do this. How hard could it be? And then, you know, you break bones when you take your first bumps. Like I was pretty well prepared for what uh, went into the physicality of wrestling. So it, it's not that it was easy by any stretch, but I think it just, it wasn't this big, uh, you know, unbelievable shock to the system like it is for so many people. Um, the, the cardio aspect was definitely challenging um, because, you know, like it, it's kind of a cliche in wrestling, but there's just no no conditioning that you can do to prepare to wrestle other than wrestle. So you know, I'd, I'd done plenty of treadmill work and I was in the gym and I was trying, you know, just to get myself in general shape before I started training, but it's a completely different animal once you're actually in the ring and you're, you know, 
taking the slams and you're lifting other people and people are lifting you and you know you've got the nerves that are involved and just all the all the various things that get activated when you're uh, actually wrestling like that's that definitely takes a while for anybody it doesn't matter if you've been in for you know 10 years or if it's your first day like if you haven't done it in a while or you have never done it it just takes the repetition and the you know the the act of wrestling to get yourself conditioned for wrestling um and then so i mean and there were obviously bumps and bruises i've got to this day on my facebook i've got like the pictures that i would take of my arms and my lower back and i would bite my tongue all the time and just like all these little visual injuries nothing that would keep you out or anything didn't require surgeries or what have you but just little visual and i feel like i'm kind of a an easy bruiser anyway so i remember there was a a time really early on we were learning irish whips and you know the act of the irish whip you're grabbing each other's forearms and kind of pulling and I swear it looked like I had a, a skin condition or something for about a week. Like those first lessons, uh, it was just completely up and down my arm. Just looked like I had chicken pox or something. It was just horrible. But um, so yeah, I mean, there were like th- those kinds of bumps and bruises, but I don't, that, to me, that's just part of it. You know, that's nothing to really uh, write home about necessarily. Um, but I think beyond that, uh, just sort of, learning like the timing of wrestling that was a big thing i think that was my biggest challenge especially when i started on shows um because i you know being a big bret hart guy and like from an indie standpoint i was a big roh fan when i broke in so like to me every match was supposed to be like 20 minutes hard hitting back and (laughs) forth you know start with a good five minutes of chain and then get into strikes and dives and apron bumps. And like, you know, that's kind of like what I had in my head. And like, I wasn't obviously, well, I wasn't very disciplined when I started on my shows because in my head I had to build all my matches that way. Everything was, you know, ROH main events every time. So I think it was, it was much more of a mental challenge for me starting out than it was a physical one. Like I I took to wrestling pretty naturally from a physical standpoint, uh, but the mental side is, is a whole different challenge. So you've been training for six, seven months before you had your first match. Um, what was it like? I'm sure there were butterflies because you were excited about your first match, but I- I'm sure there was some trepidation as well, a little bit of nerves as well. Um, walk me through the day of that first match. You get to the building. You find out who you're going to be wrestling against. What what was happening on that, that very first day that uh, you still remember today? So and it, it it's a little muddy because like I think my technically my first match was a battle royal, but that's not like not really a match match, you know, like it's it happened, I was in the ring, but there wasn't a lot of like your match. Right, yeah. It wasn't I didn't have any agency in, in that. And then I had another match that was more of an angle than a match. Like I think I had a guy that I faced, uh, another trainee. We did you know, maybe a couple spots. And then the finish was I ran away, ran back through the curtain. The referee's counting, counting, counting. He gets to like seven. I run back out of the curtain, sprint into the ring, and the guy's chasing after me, but the ref gets to 10 right before he can get back in the ring. So, like, that was that was a match too. But again, more of an angle, not really. I think we went at most five minutes, and most of it was just the me running away. So not really that 
that matchy of a match, but um, I did finally have my first real match uh, with one of the kind of one of the the veterans of the company. It's funny. I don't really remember a lot of the setup of the match. I, I want to say we went over a few things at practice leading up to that weekend. Um, and, and I was kind of a, a practice warrior at that point. I could do all the drills. I could run for days. You know, I wasn't getting blown up. I felt like I could go and go and go. Um, but that match humbled me a lot because at the time I was probably 165 and lean and, you know, very wiry. And the guy that I was facing was like 40 years old, beer gut, did this once a month and, you know, just definitely not a physical specimen by any means, but he wrestled circles around me. Like I was so tight, so tense. And we, I think we got through the opening spot and I was sucking wind. My tongue was dragging on the ground. I just, I completely blew myself up within three, four minutes and he was fine. He was completely fine. Wasn't even sweating, you know, and he was, uh, yeah, we just, I barely even remember the match. I remember like I did the, sort of the hangman buckshot flip into the ring. I did that at one point and that was like the last of my wind. I, I did that just to <laughs> kind of show off because I could. That's and it. I was done after that. We had a good five, six minutes left after that, but I was gone. So if I went back and watched, it, I'm sure I would want to crawl into a hole and die. But um, yeah, just, and so we got through the match it went however it went. What I remember most is actually after the match because my mom and sister actually came out to watch that because it was my first real match. Um, so like the finish happens, whatever it is, I crawl back through the curtain, almost literally crawl back through the curtain. Um, it was this dingy like VFW hall that we were in. And I was just, I was so tired. I was so winded. Um, I couldn't even get back to the locker room. Like when you walked back through the curtain, there was this little like utility closet with like chemicals and mops and, you know, just <laughs> grime. And, but the floor was nice and cold. So I crawled into that room and just laid down on the floor in that room. Cause it was all I could do at that point. I couldn't get water. I couldn't talk to my opponent, nothing. So I, I crawled in there, just tried not to die for the next five, 10 minutes and uh, somebody came in at one point and was like, hey, uh, your mom and sister, they're, you know, right outside. They want to congratulate you because they're going to hit the road. They just want to say, you know, great job and see you for a second before they leave. And I couldn't even get up. I, <laughs> I literally could not get up <laughs> to go say bye to my family. I just told them, like, hey, tell them thanks and I'll, I'll see them at home. But I physically could not stand up for probably at least 10 to 15 minutes. Wow. It was it was such a humbling and physically draining experience. And I bet if I watched it, there wouldn't even be any aspect of it that would, you know, lead me to believe like, oh yeah, we did that 10 minute running spot. No wonder I was, you know, tired. No, it was just a basic match, but you know, you don't learn how to breathe and how to pace yourself. And, you know, you never account for nerves and stuff when you're in training. So yeah, I just, I must've been so tight and so wound up that, you know, just within a few minutes, all my energy and all my reserves were gone. And 
yeah, that's that'll always stand out to me is, is just lying on the floor of that utility closet afterward, literally unable to get up. What was uh, did you did you get a chance to talk to your opponent? You said afterwards, did you guys chit chat a little bit or? I'm sure we did. Um, and I, I don't know that like there are no words of wisdom or anything that that stick with me. Um, um, yeah, there aren't a lot of details of the actual match itself that that stick out to me but yeah I'm, I'm sure we had a conversation i'm sure he had his his critiques and and even just knowing what the physical state that i was in i'm sure there were things that didn't look good didn't you know uh that weren't paced quite correctly but i mean once your once your legs and your wind goes like your fundamentals are trash at that point so i'm sure there was plenty to to criticize and i'm sure it was all all valid whatever it was Hey, but you live and you learn, right? You're never going to know until you do it. And then once you do it, now there's a basis and a foundation for you to say, okay, this is where we started. This is where I go from here. At least you have some type of base point. Right. Yeah. And it was, I think everybody kind of needs one of those experiences just to let them know like, okay, no matter what you think you are, you know, you're not that yet. So there's still a lot of work to be done to get to where you want to be. So you're in your training and you're, you're going through all these things. You know, you obviously have a lot of athleticism. You have your, a couple of spot matches and whatnot. You have your big match right here. And was there anything in your training where it was etiquette? Because nowadays, obviously we hear all about, you know, shake people's hands or introduce yourself, ingratiate yourself to the locker room, whatever it may be. What was the the words of advice that your trainers gave you? Or was it just, and we've heard some people say this, get there, shut your mouth, find a place to sit down, don't get in anyone's way, and uh, speak only when you're spoken to. So what was the mantra that you were taught and that you were raised in the industry with? Yeah, uh, in my company, that was it was just sort of ingrained in us to to follow all the usual customs. So the introduce yourself to everybody say hello to everybody um before every show we had to set up the ring ourselves there was no ring crew that we hired out like it was all the the wrestlers on the show had to physically put the ring together and then tear it down at the end of the night um yeah just because there were a lot of like in certain respects you kind of rolled your eyes because the the vets quote unquote in the company were guys that only ever wrestled there in that company but you know they never went anywhere never did anything but they had like the old war stories and they would talk about their careers like they were you know luthes or whatever but um (laughs) you know but but even so like because they took themselves so seriously they also tried to impart that you know hey this is how you're supposed to act when you go to shows this is what you should say what you shouldn't say um, so there was definitely like a respect and an etiquette uh, concept that was uh, ingrained in us just kind of through practice. Like, you know, you'd go to the shows and they would they would do the things that you're supposed to do and you would just pick up on, OK, I'm supposed to do this, too. And then if there was somebody that didn't do those things, um, they would usually get talked about, you know, <laughs> behind their back. It's it's wrestling. So you're always looking for a chance to to talk crap about somebody. And, you know, if you weren't. Uh, acting the way you're supposed to act, then that put some heat on you and you didn't want to be that guy. So I think it was just sort of a, a lead by example thing. Every now and then, if somebody was acting out of line, they would get pulled aside and been told, you know, hey, this is how you're supposed to do things. You know, don't do this, do do this. And 
Um, so yeah, we were, we were definitely taught kind of the old customs and, you know, the, we were taught the soft handshake and, and, you know, just sort of, uh, if you're in there with somebody who's a vet, don't step on their ideas. Don't interject, you know, let them put the match together. Just go along with what they want to do. If they ask you for input or if they ask you what you want to do, then by all means, you know, give your ideas, but you know, the vets put the matches together. Rookies just listen, go along with their plan. Um, so yeah, just a lot of the the basic fundamental concepts were were ingrained in us, which I think was was valuable going forward because I don't know that those kinds of concepts are imparted as much uh, nowadays. When it comes to ring gear, um, we've often heard some some great stories about how did you get your first pair of trunks or boots or whatever it may be. So let me impart that question onto you. When it came to getting gear and you've had your first match and you're ready to go, how did you get gear? Was there somebody that, you know, your school said, hey, you know, reach out to this person or was it just word of mouth? And how did you end up putting your first uh, attire together? And it's funny. So it actually, uh, going back to my sister and her, her ballroom uh, dance connections, uh, she actually had a costume designer that was one of her students. And so that uh, awesome. was my first, yeah, so that actually worked out. Um, I mean, it was pricey, uh, you know, because in the ballroom world, everything is, you know, very high, high price. It's a very, yeah, yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a high-end hobby. So you're not going to get a lot of, of cheap stuff in the, the ballroom world. Um, so yeah, I had, I had her student slash uh outfit designer put my first pair of it was long uh tights that I was wearing at first um I don't know I didn't really have any kind of motivation or inspiration for the look I just sort of wanted I know I knew the colors that I wanted uh because my my grade school colors were blue and gold and to me that's just sort of like a academic color scheme so at least you know because of my uh, background it was so I wanted to go with blue and gold um long tights, uh, kick pads. I wanted to do boots at first and I tried, I ordered from whatever the boots site du jour was at the time, but um, it just never quite worked out. There was always something with the sizing, like it, everything looked like Darth Vader boots on me. I just could never quite get it right. So I figured, ah, screw it, I'll just do what everybody else is doing and go with the, the kick pads and wrestling shoes. Um, but yeah, so I, I was actually pretty fortunate in that respect to have high quality gear um definitely paid for it i think i paid more for those than i paid for any pair since um but it was yeah it was it was good quality stuff so i had an in in that respect which was nice um and then as the years went on you find like the the more practical wrestling people that you go to for for your gear but um but yeah so that actually that was one of the more convenient uh, aspects of things when i started Let's talk about injuries. Uh, injuries obviously are a big part of the game. And you kind of alluded to earlier on how, you know, thankfully, knock on wood, you know, you've been able to avoid a lot of injuries and whatnot. But the things you have sustained kind of explain to me, you know, what are some of the injuries and bruises and contusions and bumps that that you have acquired over over a decade of, of doing this? Yeah, I feel I'm I'm definitely fortunate overall. There haven't been any truly major injuries. I mean, obviously I referenced uh, the concussion that I just suffered, but um, 
and I think stuff like that is always what I'm most worried about. Um, Cause even though I haven't had, you know, surgeries or tears or anything like just the basic act of wrestling is going to take a toll on your brain. And obviously we know now so much more than we knew, even when I started, you know, the, the long-term effects of, of brain damage and brain injuries. So I think that that's probably what I would point to most. Cause even in training, I remember I had a couple, couple scares. Um, like we were learning the implant DDT for some reason, that was a move that one of my trainers wanted. It was actually my buddy, Josh, the mojo that I referenced earlier. They were trying to teach him uh, this new move that he could potentially use. So he would have me in like a DDT uh, formation and then he would lift me up and drop me straight down. And I was, I, I took it probably three or four times just, you know, in the, the training that we were doing and it worked out fine every time. And it was just the little training group when we were training or when we were trying that move. And then the trainer was going nuts over it. He said, Oh, it looks so good. This is so great. Let me, let me call the owner in. Cause he's got to see this. This is so great. He's got to see it too. So they call in the, the owner, the guy who owned the house and they were like, Oh, oh Rick, you gotta, gotta watch this. Okay, guys run the move again, run it again. And so now Josh is all jazzed up and he's got to show off and he's got to show the, the trainer how good he is and you know oh. everybody's watching and the pressure's on you know so he really puts some sizzle on it and <laughs> brings me brings me straight down i go basically almost no hands just head first straight into the mat um and of course it looked great but unfortunately <laughs> it was basically a, a shoot implant ddt and so like i i knew that i was pretty messed up immediately because i i took it didn't feel great i got to my knees just to do kind of a systems check and the entire room was like topsy-turvy going back at like almost like I was on a ship it was like oh wow you know side to side up and down up and down so I was like all right this something bad happened here so um I was done that day and took a few days to feel quite right after that um and there just been you know tons and tons of little knocks and dinks and dunks here and there uh when it comes to like head injuries so that's the stuff that really concerns me uh long term but i mean everything below the neck like there really hasn't been anything too too bad there have been you know you'll get like i, I remember i took a a 3d one time from a young tag team that hadn't quite gotten the technique down so the guy giving the cutter hit the ground well before the guy lifting me up. So I almost was in like a, an L shape, you know, but with my face on the ground and my legs up in the air. And so I, I remember I, I, had to, I had to take a show off because I had a show the next day. So I took that one off, which is one of the few shows I've ever missed for injury purposes. Um, I've taken buckle bombs that kind of wrenched my back of, you know, just it, lots of little like, little things but definitely no no breaks no strains i I dislocated a toe when i was executing a pin one time which is definitely an interesting way to hurt yourself just by pinning someone but um in wrestling it's always kind of the little things that wind up getting you uh but yeah no really nothing nothing that i would consider major um no surgeries no i've had you know head wounds and stuff not even self-inflicted just sort of I remember I hit, uh, I did a dive and hit my face on a chair one time, got a nice little oh, wow. scar that's 
spill. See, there it is right there. Um, I took a kind of the Undertaker's old school rope walk thing. A guy gave that to me and his elbow caught me right about the same area. Uh, wound up bleeding buckets on a show that was largely attended by kids and we were the opening match. So that was not oh, the not the best night. Um, it happens though. Yeah. 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 Just, you know, acts of God or whatever, but um, yeah. So that mean, really nothing, nothing too, too major. I'd like, I, I consider myself very fortunate um, to have done this as long as I have and to have avoided uh, major injuries. And I, I honestly attribute that to my, my training and just sort of to my approach to wrestling, because I don't, I've never been somebody that wants to push the limits physically. Like that's not, that was not what got me into wrestling to begin with. That was not my goal going into it. Um, as a fan, as a performer, anything like the, the physical aspect of wrestling to me is obviously it's, it's great. And it's a huge, huge part of it. But to me, it's always been more about the emotion of wrestling and you don't need to do the dangerous risky stuff to achieve that emotion, um, which is a concept that's kind of getting lost as we, you know, move through the generations here. But, but yeah, so like, I don't, um, like I, I wouldn't consider myself to have had a ton of injuries. And I think that's kind of by design, a little bit of design, a lot of luck. Um, but yeah, I've been pretty fortunate in that respect. Being the veteran now on this side, uh, 12 years in and, you know, having had a really, really good career. I mean, where you've been, the championships you've won, uh, kind of a double park question. Would you have imagined that, you know, you'd be having a conversation over a decade later with things you've been able to accomplish and the things you've been able to do and the places you've traveled to? Did you think that? this was going to be uh, a way of life for you? Or did you think, yeah, it probably would happen, but man, you could have never imagined going to this level. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that everybody kind of has the stars in their eyes when they start, you know, I think that we all picture ourselves, you know, main eventing WrestleMania and making millions of dollars and becoming, you know, the, the superstar of our time or whatever. But I, I didn't, I don't know. It's, I think that I definitely saw myself being in the industry long-term. Um, it was always just a question of how far I could get. And it's still the question of how far I can get. Um, like I, it, at a certain point, cause I started when I was 23. So at the time I told myself, okay, if, if I've reached 30 and nothing's really happening, then maybe it's time to do something else. Cause it's, you know, physically demanding and dangerous and yada, yada. But then I started going through and the years just fly by all of a sudden, you know, you're five years in and you feel like you're just starting to figure it out. And you're like, Oh, well, shoot. I mean, I'm almost 30 now and I feel like I'm hitting a groove so I can't just walk away. And, and the industry changed so much from when I started because, you know, it was still very much WWE and nothing else. When I started, you know, you had, uh, I think TNA had started by then. Uh, you had ROH and, you know, obviously New Japan and, and whatnot. But, like, just the the accessibility of wrestling wasn't what it is now. You didn't have IWTV. You didn't have streaming. You didn't have YouTube and all these things that you could put out your your uh, your content that much easier. So, um, 
and then it, it, you know even just in listening to the podcast and reading books you know I'm, I'm hearing more and more uh that as a wrestler you really don't even hit your stride and reach your prime until your mid-30s like which is where i'm at now so um when I started, I had that mindset of like, okay, I've got to be at a certain point by a certain age or it's not going anywhere. But now that I've been in it a while, I'm starting to realize, oh, well, actually, you know, I'm kind of in a prime position right now, both in my experience level, in my, you know, uh, physical status, just everything is all kind of coming together right now, which is what the the, the wisdom has been is that now that I'm in my mid thirties, I feel like I've actually got a grasp of what I'm doing. Um, I feel like I can sort of take my career where I want it to be. It's just a matter of of timing and, and good fortune and all that. So, um, so yeah, I think I, I always knew that I would be in it long term. I guess I just didn't quite know that it would take on the shape that it has. Um, you know, you want to think that when you're 10 years in, you'll be on Monday Night Raw every week and be a big name and whatever. But I think success... The, the standard of success has changed so much that um, that now I'm kind of at a point that I didn't even know was possible back when I started. You've been a champion in many places and that comes with a lot of responsibility and obviously promoters have a lot of confidence in you when they see you as a person to put the title on and to sell tickets and whatnot. And I think you've done that incredibly, incredibly well. Let me ask you this question. So, you know, with GCW and then obviously we've also uh, we know that you've been in AEW as well. Let me ask you about that question. Um, what was the AEW experience for you and how did that all kind of come about? Because I want to say you've had about seven or eight matches in AEW already. Yeah, it's and it's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm so every now and then it'll hit me how good it is for the industry to have AEW around. Um, because like I just mentioned, you know, when I broke in WWE was really all there was. So you had hundreds, if not thousands of wrestlers in this giant rat race, trying to get to one place, you know, for a very finite amount of jobs. And now with AEW around, it's created this entire new uh, realm in this entire new set of of goals for for wrestlers in the industry and what's been so encouraging about them being around is that they don't have it i don't mean this the way it's going to sound but they don't have the sky high standards when it comes to giving people a look like with sure. wwe they have like you just you have to climb so many mountains in wwe you have to get the tryout you have to go through the training at the performance center if you get signed you know, once you've gone through the however long that your training is there, then you might get a shot on NXT and or now it's, you know, NXT level up and then you get to NXT. And, you know, there's just this this huge uh, journey you have to go on in WWE just to be exposed on television. And with AEW, you know, <laughs> for better or worse, sometimes they just they have a lot of faith in the independency to where if you have any kind of reputation, you know, they'll take you on board, they'll look at you, they'll make sure that you've, you know, you know, your stuff that you know your stuff, that you can handle yourself in the ring. And if they have faith in you, they'll throw you out there. Like my very first show with them was at the United Center, which is insane. It was the the show that Punk came back on. And uh 
you know, so that was what 10,000 plus people jammed into a major NBA arena. And, you know, they hadn't, I hadn't done any matches for them. I hadn't, I'd not even met the people that, uh, you know, brought me in and, or anything, but it was one of those were just through there. Well, actually, no, I, I was there one other time right before the pandemic. I didn't wrestle, but I was brought in just as a kind of a standby extra. It was literally the month before <laughs> the pandemic hit. So I kind of had all these stars in my eyes of like, oh, wow, you know, AEW is looking at me. There's great things ahead. And then world ends. But um, what are the so odds? Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds that the world comes to an end right when you get a chance at a big right, exactly. Like, really? <laughs> yep like oh foiled again but um but no it did obviously it all wound up working out pretty well but um but yeah so i think that just the the great thing about AEW is is their willingness to give so many different talents a look who by the standards of wwe would probably not have ever gotten any kind of a big national look um even just last year i know it's it's kind of changed with the the stepping down of Vince McMahon, but there was this rumored edict that came down, I think just earlier this year, or last year, where it was like, okay, we don't want anybody older than 25 yeah. who's under six feet tall, who has wrestling experience. And it was like, I was reading all this, these standards and it's like, okay, wow. They're just saying we don't want GPA specifically. <laughs> like, you know, it was, it was all these, these very, very specific standards that I was never going to meet, unfortunately. So, you know, but, but now it's like, it doesn't matter because that's not the only game in town. Now there's other places to go. There's other, other mountains to climb. So, um, so yeah, like with AEW, that, that first show was, it was surreal. Like, you know, you just being at a major company like that in the first place is, you know, a big deal enough as it is, but for it to have been that night, you know, when CM Punk returned and the buzz that was in the city and in the industry, like, you know, the fact that you get to go out there and help warm up that crowd was incredible. Like I'll, I'll never, ever forget that night. And in the same building where I saw my very first live wrestling show, like just the, the serendipity of it all was, was incredible. So, and yeah, they've always been super, super professional. Um, you know, the, because the, the the conduit for the extras is is Sean Dean, who's a Chicago guy, a uh, yep. great guy, you know, very very professional, very uh, easy to work with. Um, unfortunately, he was uh, familiar with me when I reached out the first time because uh, you know he's like I said from Chicago. He's watched uh, freelance and you know seen the various companies that I've worked for. So you know he was willing to give me a shot and. Fortunately, I've not done anything wrong to, you know, to prevent myself from getting future shots. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of amassing a nice little tenure with them. And, you know, the hope is that it always leads to more. But even if it's just this, like these opportunities to perform in these major arenas in front of these crowds and to get this exposure is is all incredible, especially for somebody like me who never thought that this was possible at a certain point, you know, because you hit that you hit that age of 30 and you haven't gotten a tryout yet. You haven't been on TV anywhere. You're not in the major indies and feel like the walls are starting to close in like, okay, well, you know, maybe this isn't going anywhere. And then all of a sudden AEW comes around and there's this whole new world of of possibility. Any of the coaches that you got a chance to maybe interact with or talk to when you were there? Yeah, they, I've, I've had different agents almost every time. Um, 
uh, Dustin Rhodes has been the agent a couple times for me. Uh, Sanjay Dutt was this, the most recent coach that I had. And uh, there's been a steel and uh, Colt Cabana, like just all kinds of guys that uh, will oversee the, the matches for the extras. Um, uh, Pat Buck and just all kinds of guys. So they're, admittedly they're a little more focused on the sign talent um right like it's 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 your job as an extra just to not screw up like it's not really nothing it's not often designed for you to to be showcased or to you know to do anything uh that elaborate but um but yeah i mean i've I've received good feedback from everybody that i've worked with in the limited stuff that i've done you know it's basically just be in this spot and don't screw it up but um but yeah no they're all because you would think with as many matches that they put on for dark that it would be easy for them to just kind of dismiss it like ah, whatever you know i'm sure it'll be fine tell me about it afterward but now they watch everything they've got people at the monitor you've got your own personal agent you've got the the producer and even tony khan if he has the time he'll sit there and and watch the dark matches and like i know laney has been uh complimented by Tony Khan and Kenny Omega and all kinds of big, big names that have watched her matches. So, um, yeah, there's always, always a little something from everybody. Uh, Christopher Daniels, Billy Gunn. Um, yeah, they're all, all very, very hands-on, very involved in the putting together of the matches. Again, not, there's never much for the extras to do. So you only hear, uh, so much, but they're always very supportive, very helpful. Any questions you have, they'll answer. They're always, always willing to help. So, so yeah, it's always been a very good uh, experience with the agents and, and coaches. You've had an incredible career so far. I mean, I think that I don't think there's anybody out there who can see your matches and not see how passionate you are about the industry and see how talented you are. I mean, once again, several promotions, you've been champion, you've had a great career so far. And really, as you said before, it's just now starting. So <laughs> What are the aspirations for 2023? What's on the docket? I mean, my my goal every year is is pretty much the same. It's just to go as far as I possibly can. Like it's, I don't put any kind of limitations on myself. You know, if I can main event pay per views and make millions of dollars, then great. That's absolutely what I'll be trying to do. If it's just winning local championships and helping grow the companies that I'm in, then great. That's what I'm going to do. But yeah, my, my goal has always just been to go as, as high and as far as possible. And, you know, it, it, you never really see what's coming. Like you, you can always try to forecast, okay, I'll try to, you know, uh, get on this show or work for this company, but wrestling is just this very strange sort of living, breathing thing where you can't predict the direction that it's going in. So you know, the opportunities that I've gotten to this point, I never could have seen them coming because, you know, when I started, most of these opportunities didn't exist. They weren't things. And then they became things. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm in the United Center. <laughs> and it's like, there's Crazy. there's just all kinds of, yeah. There's, and even with some, some friends of mine, like I've recently seen doors open for people that you didn't think would ever open or even exist. And and so, yeah, I think that, you know, with 2023, it's it's hard to predict where the industry is even going to be, let alone where I'm going to be. So, you know, I think it's just a matter of staying active, staying relevant as best you can. Um, actually, on a 
kind of a personal front, I was actually just brought on as an official trainer for a freelance uh, wrestling school. So oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so that'll be an aspect uh, professionally that I'm uh, pursuing more going into next year, which is exciting because I, I love the, the training aspect of things. So, um, so I'll be doing that more next year. Um, and then as far as my own, you know, personal pursuits, it's just kind of, we'll see, you know, you just, you stay active, you stay hungry, you act the right way, you say the right things, do the right things and things just sort of happen in wrestling. So I'm just here for, here for whatever comes. You know, it's it's interesting. You've mentioned this a couple times so far uh, in the, our conversation, but you said the industry has been changing. So now that you're a veteran, what are some things that you say to younger talent who are just up and coming, who are just getting done with their training or maybe just on their first couple of shows? Do you ever pull anybody aside and have a little conversation with them or do you give little tips or encouragement or that kind of thing for when you see that that new person getting the nerves and you know, they're, they're quite, maybe not exactly where they want to be on a confidence level. Do you ever pull them aside and say something? Yeah, it's because I'd, I'd kind of mentioned earlier how the the physical side of wrestling has become sort of paramount and it's, it's what's prioritized most highly by young wrestlers. And to me, I think that that's, there's some fault in that logic because like I use a couple different examples of of bits of advice that i've heard uh, the first one is from adam pierce who gave a seminar that i attended and he said that at least in wwe specifically but also i think in wrestling the belief should be emotion over motion so don't prioritize the motion the moves the action prioritize the emotion behind those things so like you can do everything in the world, but just make sure that there's a purpose for why you're doing it. You know, if you're going to light yourself on fire and jump off the building, at least make sure it's onto somebody that you really, really hate and that you've established that you really, really hate. Don't just do it because it's something that would be cool that will go viral for 20 minutes. Like, you know, there, there should be reasons for you're doing the things that you're doing and you can push the envelope physically and you can do as much as you want to do. And that's fine. But just always make sure that there's an emotional hook to the things that you're doing. Um, and then the other bit of advice that I've always referenced uh, came from a William Regal seminar that I went to. And his belief was that when you put matches together, doesn't matter who you are, you could be main eventing WrestleMania or you could be in your first match. But when you're putting matches together, use the, the approach of if you took two people off the street who had never seen wrestling in their lives and you sat them down in the audience and had them watch what you're doing, could they follow the story that you're telling? Would it make sense to them what's happening in the ring if they had no idea what wrestling was? And so that's always been kind of my approach to wrestling is like, whatever I'm doing in there should be easily digestible, should be painting in black and white or painting in primary colors. Just make sure that anybody, whether they're a hardcore fan who watches every second of every show or somebody that's at their first show ever, can they appreciate and follow what you're doing? And so to me, I think that that gets lost on a lot of young, young wrestlers that are coming in because they immediately want to go, okay, bell rings and now backflip, drop kick, you know, duck this, dive out, land on your feet, come back in the ring, flip, flip, flip. And it's like, you know, yeah, it's physically impressive, but I don't, I don't know why you're doing these things. Like the, the foundation 
is is not there you know like you just sort of started doing stuff and it's cool it's impressive but it's 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 fast food it's empty calories it's fireworks it's like okay yeah it's cool for a second and then you just move on and you don't think about it it doesn't matter it doesn't register so that's kind of the stuff that i'm trying to impart going for especially now in my role as an actual trainer is to just establish a foundation and make sure that there's a logic and kind of an a to z story to what you're doing and you can do as much as you want to do but just make it make sense as you're doing it don't just do it to do it no that makes total sense i mean and that's great advice too i mean once again you know it's neat when you get to talk to people who've been in the industry who have had so much experience not only from an in-ring perspective but as a coach you know what I mean? As, as somebody who knows how to put things together, you know, Regal has a lot of experience and obviously he's a very sought after commodity in, in any company. And I think the industry is better because of people like him. And I think the industry is going to be greatly uh, enhanced with you also, you know, as, as you continue wrestling, but training and being a part of the next generation coming in, I think the world's in uh, it's in good hands. Yeah, I, I hope so. And, and, like I, I'll never, I'm not going to tell guys that I can teach them how to be like the next uh, Will Ospreay or Ricochet or anything like this. There's, there's physical things that I'm just never going to be able to do. And I can't tell you how to do them, but I can definitely get you to being the best wrestler that you can be. And that entails so much more than just the physical side of things. Um, and I just, yeah, like, I don't know. Because to me, I, I read every book. I could read every autobiography. I watched every documentary. And like, I just, I consumed as much wrestling as I possibly could growing up. And it's, I don't, I just literally don't know if young wrestlers like do that kind of stuff anymore. Like, I know that they watch plenty of wrestling, but in terms of like, are they listening to the podcast? Are they reading the books? Are they watching the shows? Like, I don't, I don't know, but I feel like because I've just, consumed so much wrestling knowledge over the years like just by accident you know i know a lot of things and you know if if i can reference this or reference that or make a point to somebody that changes their worldview about wrestling then i'm i'm happy to do it so like i'll never you know relatively speaking i haven't really like been that far like i haven't signed a contract i haven't wrestled on national television for any extended period of time, but it's like, I've just done a little bit here and a little bit there. And I've, I've been really, really close to it for a long time now. So I feel like I picked up on just enough to where I can definitely be helpful uh, to younger generations and just, just kind of impart practical fundamental knowledge that might get lost along the way. No, I couldn't agree more. Very, very well said. Uh, it is a part of the show where we uh, go ahead and we, plug i call it plugomania so facebook twitter instagram if you have a website so where can people follow gpa where can they get information about you where your next show is going to be give all the listeners the details even merchandise give everybody the details yeah so i i may mostly just do the big three uh facebook twitter and instagram uh my Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash GPA one, two, three. My Twitter, which I, I would say I'm probably most active on Twitter. So I'm at GPA thinks on Twitter. Uh, Instagram is 
G-P-A-I-G. Um, merch, I'm not really, it's kind of an uh, in-person thing with merch for me right now. I don't have a, a website. I'm not on PWTs. I think I have a PWT store, but I haven't figured out how to work all that. So if you want to, you know, merch is, is kind of an in-person deal. So if I'm at your town, by all means, stop by the merch table. I'll, I'll have the stuff for you. But um, so I actually only have two shows left for 2022. Uh, this coming Friday and Saturday, both in Chicago, or well, Chicagoland area. Uh, Friday, freelance wrestling at the Logan Square Auditorium. And Saturday, freelance underground in Joliet. And then, yeah, and then we're into 2023. And, you know, it's a world of possibility beyond that. But um, yeah, it's almost wrapped up. Oh, and, and like I should mention, I'm now one of the freelance wrestling academy trainers as well so you know for anybody and it's one of those that like yeah we're mostly focused on training people from the ground up but it's also one of those that i love having just friends and colleagues stop by too and you know if you've been in for however long if you're in the area the doors to the academy are always open so you know wrestlers and trainees and you know vets and announcers anybody anybody that wants to stop by to either get in the ring and get some work in or even just talk to the kids. Like it's a very, very open and inclusive uh, school. It's like, we just want to do as much as we can for the people that are there. And even if we're all vets just sitting around, we can all help each other. So, um, but yeah, those are, those are the things that uh, places you can find me uh, places you can follow me. And yeah, 2023 should be very interesting from a, a personal, Oh, and I'm uh, personal note i'll be getting married in 2023 as well so congratulations that's wonderful yeah, yeah thank you that's that's a whole story in itself with the me and laney's uh arc over the past several years but, but yeah so it'll be it'll be a good good 2023 for a number of reasons absolutely it will man it's so exciting hearing people and their stories but your story has been fascinating and it's always been positive and it sounds like you are still in love with the business as you were the first day and you continue to hit your stride. And I think 2023 uh, personal standpoint is going to be great, but I also think on a professional standpoint, it's going to be great as well. GPA, I cannot say thank you enough for stopping by and, and chatting with us. Yeah. Thank you for the invite. It's always, always fun to do these and it was a lot of fun being here. Absolutely. It's great to see you. And uh, can we twist your arm again down the road to maybe give us an update on how everything is going and, maybe do a little look in and see what's happening in your 2023. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one thing I love doing all the time is, is talking wrestling. So anytime anybody is extending the invite, I will be there. Sounds good. Thank you so much for your time. And once again, we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you very much. All right, guys, that's GPA. What a fun interview. It's the one thing I love doing when it comes to, to wrestling is being able to talk to people. And, and once again, I sound like a broken record, hearing their story. What made them fall in love with wrestling? How did they first find out that this was something they wanted to do? How did they find a school? Um, you know, I knew more. I didn't know any more about ballroom dancing, but I know now. Um, and he was talking about, you know, how he got his first set of gear and how that was really cool. And the story about, you know, working with, uh, the veteran and just being tired. I mean, there's so many great things you can take away from this interview, but I think the biggest thing is it all comes full circle. Perseverance will always, always be something that is one of the most admirable traits that anyone can have. Think about this. He went to the show and then full circle, he comes back and he's working in AEW 
the night CM Punk comes back in front of a sold out United Center. How cool of a feeling is that? So we're very happy that he's going to be getting married. So definitely send him some congratulations and well wishes on his social media platforms. And once again, look for him. And if he's coming to your area, definitely go ahead and support him. And if you are at the merch table over where at his show, go up and get some eight by tens, get some shirts and definitely make sure that you appreciate all the men and women who bust their butt, break their bodies to give us fans something to talk about on podcasts and give us something that we really, really get into, which is the incredible business of professional wrestling. Guys, with that being said, I am Mike Freeland, and I will talk to you on the next episode of the Front Row Material brand. My name is Mike Freeland, and if you're looking for an exciting wrestling podcast to add to your library, then look no further than the Front Row Material brand. Each and every week, I sit down with some of the most exciting superstars in the world of wrestling, from upcoming stars in the indies to dedicated veterans of the squared circle. I also host a daily podcast called Headlines, which gives you the updated information on all your favorite superstars in all your favorite promotions, giving you not only the backstage look, but also what are the industry experts saying about things. And finally, join myself and and my executive producer, The Rit, where we talk about everything in the world of professional wrestling all across the landscape, from storylines to interviews to what's happening and what we think is going to be happening the next time you turn on your TV. Don't miss it. It's the Front Row Material brand brought to you by the MLW Radio Network. The Rulers.